As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of The Leaf Report is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend in your interest on uninvested cash, and with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to leafreport.robinhood.com. That's leafreport.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Okay, James, we are back. We're doing an in-person podcast, which we haven't done in a while. It's good to be in person. Good to chat. Yeah, now I can see what you look like. Looks like you had your hair cut recently. Yep, I'm ready to go. <laughs> the nice uh, the schedule's actually been okay. Like, there's been some breaks. They have the bye week coming up. Are you excited about the bye week? Yes. Slash all-star break? Yes. And sometimes it feels like there's a game almost every night during the season. And, and when there you, is. When you get to this point of the year... I don't know. It's just it, it. It's nice when there's not a game at night because I get to like put my kids to bed and like I get to do some things that are just like nice human things. So getting like eight days in a row where we get to do that is going to be nice. Will you watch the All Star game? No chance. Yeah, no. What's the last one you've watched? I was there in San Jose and I didn't watch it last year. I think you know what I actually did. I think I flew home the day of the All Star game. That's about right. I flew home at like four p.m. and the game was at like whatever one p.m. or something. Well, if you I were think. if you were in charge. Would you scrap it, or do you have an idea for like what could make it interesting? I don't think you can get rid of it because I think the All Star Game is for you're taking us down the on a weird tangent. Yeah, here. sorry. This is we should almost talk about this next week. But like, I think the All Star Game is for kids. I think kids still like it. I think it's interesting, and it's for corporate sponsors. It's not, and for the local market. Like, I like how many All Star Games have you been to? Uh, two or three. Yeah, it's like me too. It's actually like in the one I went to in Montreal was cool. It's like actually like a neat weekend in in the market like it's good for hockey fans people come from all over the actual game sucks but everything like on the weekend is is pretty cool but do you think it's actually good like i wonder how much fans actually enjoy it like as a kid like i I always look forward to like the hardest shot competition fastest skater skills is fine skills is i don't have a problem with the skill and apparently they've added some new skill stuff that sounds kind of interesting sounds kind of interesting is a word for it anyway (laughs) you don't want to see guys shoot from the stands no, they should. They should do a skill that's like that uh, lacrosse goal. Yeah, that's a good idea. Try ten attempts. How many times can you score a lacrosse goal? That's a good idea. They should do stuff that's like you can actually do it in hockey. Like it's not. Remember they had that well, one about, with like the those like gates that they had to like put the puck through, and it was so hard that the guys guys were like picking the puck up and putting it on their stick. And like, <laughs> there have been some bad skills the last like few years. Yeah, 
Anyway. But no, the I'll actual, the actual game is, is dog crap. I will not be watching. Um, I'll watch the skills. We have a lot to actually talk about. Yeah, so um, why are we talking about this? I don't know. I'm just curious <laughs> your thoughts on it. So we should next get week, into... We, next week, we can go all in on All-Star. Just all... I'm hopeful next listen. week we'll have a guest. We're going to... Oh, gonna, yeah, I guess Jeff O'Neill, O-Dog, said he's going to do our podcast at some point, so maybe he'll I do... I will believe that when I see it. <laughs> he, said he, he said any he's at any time, bro, or something like that. Okay, well, that's on you. Or I'll get my good buddy to come on. We'd, um, we'd like to get Ray Ferraro on. I think we should have Mark Masters on again. We could, you know, yeah, if right. people listening to the podcast can think of guests they'd like to have on, let us know. And we could even have other people from The Athletic on. Like we had McIndoe on a couple weeks ago. Yeah, good idea, actually. All right, we'll think about that. So we should get into Matthews, how much he's continuing to score. We should talk a bit about Morgan Riley being out two months, basically. Uh, we should talk about Anderson. What's going on there? We should talk about the defense, obviously, in light of it, um, Riley being out. I think we should start with Matthews just because he's coming off a hat trick. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. He's on pace for how many goals? Like, you're the counter. 59 of, now. He's on pace for 59. It keeps going up. You think he's going to get it? I just say that no matter what. So I was on the... I was on the radio on TSN 1050, and Andy Petrillo asked me, like, oh, you, you think he, d- he will do it? And I'm like... <laughs> I just, Andy, like, I just, I just say that every single time. Like, it doesn't matter what, remember, there was one where he was like on pace for like a hundred and something early in the year. And Oilers fans who hate the Leafs still find those old tweets and are like, oh, you said he was going to get a hundred goals. And it's like, well, I'm just joking. Like it's. (laughs) Well, so he does that like 34 and 47 games is nuts. And like, if you look at his previous years, uh, he was obviously great. 40 and 82 as a rookie, I think 37 and 60 something as a sophomore, and then 34. And I think the last 60. two years he's been at a 45 goal pace if he played 82 yeah, games. Yeah, and this is just like exploding. And 45 that. goals in the NHL in this era is really good. Like I was looking at like how many guys have had more than 53 goals in the last like 10 years, and it's like almost no one has ever done it. Like yeah, Stamkos had Ovechkin, 60. Right? I think Stamkos had 60 one year, but. Most of the time, 50 is like the upper limit for most guys. So if he ends up near 60, like that's incredible. Well, so like I mentioned, like his career high is 40. It feels like he could have 40 before the end of, or like a week into to February. Uh, it just, it, what, what's interesting watching him right now is how easy it looks for him to score. Like it looks like any time he gets a quality opportunity, you're thinking that's going to go in. And obviously every time it doesn't go in, but it it feels inevitable right now that just about every game he's going to score. And there's like not many guys in the league like that. Obviously Ovechkin. I don't know who else you'd put in that bracket. I don't know that you'd put maybe anyone in that well, bracket. Well, Pasternak's like... But that's like, that's that's more this year. Obviously, if you look at Matthew since he came to the league, like they're the only comparable is Ovechkin. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it, that's why I think there is an anti-Toronto thing that we discussed last week where fans will come at you. But if this was happening in any other market, you'd be like, oh my God, this is insane, yeah. like how much he's scoring. Well, yeah. And, and yeah. And I find too, like when the Leafs are struggling or when like Matthews goes on like eight games without a goal or something, then all of a sudden you start getting all this stuff from like the fans in Vancouver and Edmonton and Ottawa and whatever. And then and then when Matthews is on pace for 60 goals, I don't I don't get uh-huh. anything. I don't, I'm not getting insulted by anybody right now. Like what, what can you say? Like he's... I. We shouldn't. We probably shouldn't be surprised because we knew Matthews had this in him, and I think this is the natural progression of a really young player, where it takes them. Like he was in the league at he had just turned nineteen. Like he's a young, young guy. Yep. Before Sandine was called up and Lilgren were called up, he was the youngest guy in the team, right? I don't think there's. I think he's younger than. He's younger than Dermot, right? Like he's, Marner's younger. No, Marner's no, Marner, Marner's no, Marner was drafted birthday. the year yeah. before. He's yeah, a, that's the thing. They're, is, the, they're born the same year. But Matthews is September, Mars May. Yeah. So most of the year, Matthews is the youngest guy in the whole team. And like, yeah. he doesn't look young and he doesn't play young, but he's not an old player. He's still on that upward trajectory where players peak between 23, 24, and 26, 27. He, he's becoming what he was supposed to become. And part of it is you talk to people who know Matthews really well. And they say like his summers and his off ice, and I and like I know obviously there was the incident or whatever, but like his summers, like he works his ass off. Like he's got he's got that that drive to improve in all these little detail areas of his game, and he works with Daryl Belfry a lot and mm-hmm. changes 
all kinds of ways that he stick handles and shoots the puck and he's just getting stronger and better and I actually I think that I think the strength part is part of it too like I think his his off ice uh has has improved and I think that they've I haven't written about this but I think that they've worked on some things to like try and prevent injury a little bit with him too I think you have written about that I remember that coming up somewhere um a few points on that one like you mentioned He's scoring in a lot of different ways, and he continues to, like we discussed this before, but he continues to kind of expand his arsenal. But I think the age thing is really important, and I don't know that we take a step back enough to remember how young they are. Like, if you go back and look at pictures of him during that rookie year, he looks a lot younger. He looks, uh, he doesn't look as chiseled. He, he just he didn't looks have like the a stash. teenager. Yeah, he doesn't have the stat. Well, we know the reason for that, but like, but, you really- but I guess the point is. Uh, I'll let you go in a sec. I, I just want to round it out to like Neander and Marner. Like you can just see like they're they're still, we want them to be finished products right away. And they're not. Like they're they're, they're figuring things out. Like Neander, you see it this year. He's figuring things out. And it's the same with Matthews. They're growing as like human beings. Yes, that's it's, the thing. We you forget. know, it's like when you go away to college when you're like 18 or whatever. And sure. you're like, you don't know where your you live books by are. Yourself for the first time. You have you, to- you don't know where your room is and you get like they come into the nhl dressing room for the first time and they're coming from like the u.s national development team or they're coming from like some junior team or whatever like and then you walk into the leafs dressing room and you're playing in front of twenty thousand fans every night and the schedule is crazy and you're flying all over it's a lot i think like they're still developing as like i said as human beings as as people and growing into their bodies and who they are and the older i get in this job and i'm in my late 30s you see that progression more and more like, you know, we see the, the Sandines come in and they're all fresh faced and like, they don't know anything. And like, that's not an insult to him. That's just, that's just what being 19 is all about. And then, you know, here we are four years later with Matthews and Marner and they've got a swagger in that dressing room. Like they, they know what they're about. They know why they're there. They know what they want to accomplish. And there's just a lot more, uh, especially with guys like that, that, that have, really high goals for themselves they're um they're becoming professional yeah and it, all your everything you're saying reminds me of the conversation i had with matthews i think is in december where i asked him like what do you do differently now than when you first came in the league and, and he brought up like some of the off-ice stuff like some of the ways he gets ready for games and it makes total sense like if you're just coming into the league 19 like you said out of the u.s national development team program you it's totally different when you're playing 82 times a year and you're flying and you're practicing and like this is the pros and i just know for me like even the stuff i do this year versus five years ago to like get ready for games and like track stuff is thousands of times i think about when i started what i was doing you don't know anything oh oh man and you go back and you read some of that stuff and And it's just this is terrible (laughs) and then and, and you think of it from like their perspective like they're doing it we do it in front of people. Obviously, our work is seen by others, but they're doing it on a much grander scale. They're like growing up in front of your eyes. And I think it's just interesting to watch them progress while basically watching them under a microscope get bigger and better and stronger and grow up. It gets easier. Like, it's interesting you bring up like what we're doing. Like, we know that it, it just gets easier. Like, it's a lot. If, if it's You like, know what to do. If I it's think like a glove now, right? Like, when something yeah. happens, it's like... But when when you're yes, when you first start and something happens, you're like, oh, and you're like running around in circles, and yeah. <laughs> and so you think about it like just from a team perspective, zoom out for a second. Like you think of the playoffs and and um, like what they've gone through the last couple of years. Yeah, they won't now, be well now. Like let's say they they're in the first round and they have a chance to close out a series at home in Game Six. They're going to be like, oh, we've been through this. We better before. do this, and we we know what it takes, and like we're used to it, and like we know what the other team is going to bring. There'll be a hunger there too, right? Yeah. You, you know, like they don't want to gain, they don't want to keep reinforcing this reputation of losing in the first round over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, uh, yeah. I, I. How much of this do you think, I don't know what percentage to assign it, but how much of this do you think has been, um, I guess, two questions. How much of it is what Keith is asking them to do offensively? How much of this do you think is Marner? And how much do you, do you think is this just like an unbelievable goal scorer? And he's he's hot, obviously, right now. Well, he was on pace for a lot of goals under Babcock as yep. well, right? Yep. Like it wasn't like... And obviously the first three years are all under Babcock and he was scoring a shit ton. 
Right. I think the next level that we're seeing is he's getting a lot more minutes. He's on, he's on the first power play unit, and it's often running through him. He's playing with Marner at even strength. You add those three things together, and there's probably like some he's getting some good bounces right now too. Like you don't you don't score. What does he have now? Like 14 goals in 12 games or something like that. Like you don't go on a run like that and without getting some things going your way. So you add all those things together and. Yeah, I think Keefe's a factor too, because if you look at all the things like expected goals and the quality of chances that the team is generating as a whole, it's gone up a lot under Keefe. So, well, you can you can add not just the 5-on-5 the five five stuff, like their power play looks way yeah. different now. It's at like 30-some percent, right? Right, and and you can just see it. Like it doesn't look, it looked rigid before, and now it just it's like this freewheeling kind of thing where anyone can score, and he's scoring a lot of the power play. I think he's got nine goals now, his career high is 12. And that was one thing that he mentioned, like as far as becoming a better goal scorer. He said, like, you look at all the, the top goal scorers. You look at Ovechkin, you look at, you know, Stamkos. Tons of power play goals. He said they get tons of power play goals, and he said that's an area he thinks if he's going to take another step as a goal scorer, if he starts scoring a lot on the power play, like... And that's the thing is that Matthews watches the rest of the league really closely. He... Um, I remember there was a comment at the beginning of last season in training camp, and they were talking about the power play and getting him on the first unit and whatever. And I remember it was like the, one of the early days in training camp, mm-hmm. and they were talking... There was a comment about uh, loading up your first power play unit. And Matthews is like, well, that's what like the other teams around the league do. And he, he named off like a whole bunch of them, like Washington and Chicago and Pittsburgh. And mm-hmm. you can tell... like he's he knows not only who the other great goal scorers in the NHL are, but he knows how they're getting there. And he wants to get there. Like he, he's the kind of guy that wants to win a whole bunch of rocket Richard trophies. Not, not one. Do you think he'll win it? I don't know. I mean, it's Pasternak's much higher, I think on his career average shooting percentage than Matthews is. I'll look it up as he talk. I, I think Pasternak's around 20% right now, which is high. And I think his career average is about 14. So, and Matthews is averaging, what, like 18-something right now, and his career average is more like 16. So I would say there's a greater likelihood that Pasternak's going to regress compared to Matthews, but we're, we're, you're guessing what's, like, you're, you know, no one knows for sure. Of course. If you had Just to... having fun. James. I think it's a good, like, 50-50 bet, though, you know. Well, if you were picking Matthews or the field... Taking the field? Yeah, I think so, probably, yeah. Who's at, Who's behind Pasternak and Matthews? Like, it feels like it's going to be one of those two guys this year. Like, they're both just having phenomenal seasons. That's why it'd be kind of cool if it's Boston again in the first round. And, and you have, it, like, the two go- dueling goal scorers? Yeah, why not? Let me look. I'm looking. Go, 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 go. Sometimes we get... Eichel. Uh, yeah, Eichel's got 28, and Novechkin has so 28. They're a little ways back, but that's not so far back that they can't get back in the conversation. So, Yeah. Well, if you're picking, let's pick numbers. What do you think the final number will be for him this year? I think Matthews is going to be like 54. I was going to say 53. Yeah, I think he's going to be right there. Yeah. Which is something. I Like, I wonder where he... That's enough to win a Richard for sure. It for has sure. been most yeah. recent seasons. Well, I wonder where he'll end up because now you're starting to hear like heart trophy stuff. You wonder where he'll get in that mix um, if he ends up with 50-some-odd goals and the Leafs make the playoffs. And Well, it's going to—I think if the Oilers make the playoffs, then McDavid's probably going to have a real good case, right? And should win it, I would and, think. But the Oilers are kind of on the bubble, and it seems like a lot of voters, the PHWA votes on the heart. A lot of the voters, it matters to them if the team makes the playoffs or not. Yeah, I'm not about that. And, are you and about that? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. He's so clearly the best player. Right. And the other thing people will say is like, well, he's got dry sidle. So I, that's a, that hey, kind of bothers me too. When like player. People will make that argument with Matthews. Like, oh, he's got Tavares and Marner and all these other good players on the Leafs. And I'm pretty sure you can make that case about all the other candidates. Yeah. Except but sometimes like, the guy that wins is like some like like Taylor Hall who's like playing, voted, playing with a mop and pail some games. I voted like, for McDavid that year, number one. The Taylor Hall year? I'm not saying that Taylor Hall shouldn't have won. I don't want to like mischaracterize it, but like sometimes those guys yeah. get the benefit it's of the It's the story. Doubt. Sometimes the story wins. Anyway, that's in, that'll be interesting to track, um, especially in light of your prediction that I'll score 45 and 90 and get a heart, get some heart yeah, trophy I'm just votes. nailing that prediction. Nailed it. Um, Morgan Riley is going to miss the next 
two months at least. Or more. Or more, or maybe a little less. So we haven't written or talked about this, but two months is a long time to miss with a broken foot. Yes. It's too long. Well, look it, at Muzzin. Like Muzzin, they're saying Muzzin's going to be back in 10 days now. Well, and Janssen... Or whatever whatever it is. Janssen broke his foot and was back in just over a month. It's usually four to six weeks. Yeah. Well, you Unless wonder, you've done something funky. Unless, unless it's broken some weird bone or something. Well, you wonder if whatever has been ailing him throughout the year is something that maybe they take the time now... While he's hurt anyway, makes sense to try to get him in better condition for the playoffs. Yeah, why not? They haven't said that. We don't know that. It just would make logical sense if that's what they were doing. It's just they said he'll be reevaluated in eight weeks, and yeah, that's so eight weeks is. I don't March know if 9. I've seen a broken foot that's eight weeks. Yeah, it's 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 going to be in the neighborhood of twenty some odd games, and obviously the closer or the faster you can get him back, the better because the playoffs are like going to be right there. It almost feels like, don't you think, Jonas, that he probably should have been like sitting out like more or like maybe not playing as many minutes or like like they should have been doing some sort of Kawhi Leonard kind of load management just because of how hurt he was. Like he's clearly not wasn't having the season that he had last year. No. He clearly doesn't have the explosiveness. Mm-hmm. And it's the other injury, not the foot, is like clearly some kind of like a core injury. That like it affects him. You were saying the other day that how he walks and stuff. Like it's he doesn't look like even when you watch him walk, he doesn't look healthy. And that's right now. But I think you were seeing in the past few games he was starting to get a little bit of his yeah, he was getting explosion better. back. Uh, but, but you I know what I'm saying? Like maybe you rest you, him more. Maybe they're waiting for the All Star break and he gets a rest. That would have been helpful. But like so, just imagine you're in that situation. So the team is is spiraling early in the year. There's injuries to Marner yeah. and Tavares and yeah. Dermot's out. Yeah. Like, and, and you're, you're not right. going to be like, I'm not playing tonight. Exactly. And so the team is probably, maybe, who knows, the team might be saying to you, like, maybe you want to take like some time off. And you're like, no, I can, like, if I can, if I feel like I can help even at 70% or 60%, I'm going to do it. And I think that's what happened. The NHL culture isn't to the point now where, like, they in the NHL, load management's like a dirty word almost, right? With most guys, like... Even like older guys you talk to, and they're like, like but that's remember, not load management. Remember Ron Hainsey? Like they were like, remember we were asking him towards the end of the year. It's like, oh, what about taking a day off? And he's like, he was like, fuck that, basically. Like, but I don't think that's load management. Load like load management implies that you are, I don't want to say healthy, but that you're just resting to manage your load. That wouldn't be mm. like that would be to rehab an injury. And, and he said, like, they did some work over Christmas. But what I'm saying is that maybe Riley could have missed one of every 10 games or whatever. And, yeah. like, maybe he could miss some back-to-backs and you play. Maybe back-to-backs is something. Yeah, that's interesting. I just think that the NHL is going to get to the point where they're going to – the sports science is going to be, like, 82 games is way too much. Yes. We have designs on playing late into June, just like the Raptors did. Like, it's not – like, Kawhi could have played more games. Of course. If Kawhi was an NHL player, he would have played more games. But if you focus on the greater good, well, that to me that's that's more the conversation with the goalies, and obviously that's become kind of yeah, but more the conversation. But maybe should it, it should could be the skaters too? Why not? Skaters. I mean, you have a twenty-three man roster. You've got yeah. an extra defenseman and two extra forwards on most teams. It's just when would you have done it? Like the the as I mentioned, the start was bad. Then Babcock gets fired. New coach comes in. They need to make up ground. It's hard to to go to your longest serving player, your number one defenseman, and say, "Dude, take a hike for a couple weeks." We need. I just to. all I'm saying is it's I think hard. it's going to happen at some point. In the, yeah. in the NHL, like it's clearly happening in the NBA. Yeah, and the NHL is a more physical league than the NBA. But you can understand. I guess what I'm I'm saying is you can understand his thought process. Yeah, of wanting to play through it. I just wonder where it was going because if he gets to the playoffs and he's played through that shit all year. And yeah, that's a good question. Like, look at what, like, I don't know. Like, Gardner did get some time off and whatever, but he probably should have had more than he had. And then they played him in the playoffs and he was away. Like, he was he couldn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Well, and even, like, I remember when the, the stuff around Crosby was first coming out in the fall, and I think the question was, like, is he going to have surgery or is he not? And then, obviously, he had surgery, missed however many weeks, six weeks or something, and now he's back. And that's like... And he's really back. And he's back. Four points, game one. But... <laughs> I like Bruce Boudreaux's quote. Did you see that? No. He said, they said, oh, how do you feel about Crosby coming back and playing? And Boudreaux said something like, oh, great, is Mario going to play too? <laughs> <laughs> what a, he's a great quote. Um, but so obviously, Riley going out is a, is a massive blow. He 
plays the most minutes on the team. He plays power play, plays penalty kill. It creates a very big void in your lineup, which you could see on Tuesday night when they were playing the Devils. Obviously, the Devils aren't very good. That game was like a wash. Enter Sandman, though, Jonas. Yeah, that's part of it. But you can see that this is going to cause a problem. And obviously, Muzzin being out on top of that makes it more complicated. Like, you can just see the two guys who led the team in ice time in that game. And granted, like, it's a it's it's sort of a blowout. It didn't end up being a blowout. But number one and two in ice time were Dermot and Hall at like 21 and a half minutes, basically. That's tough. Like, that's that's not... I just, I think that their offense is good enough. And if yeah. Anderson gets things back together again that they're going to be okay a lot of nights to win with the group that they've got. Yes, and also sure. Muzzin, like Sheldon Keefe was talking about today, that he thinks Muzzin, they're hopeful Muzzin's back right out of the All-Star break huh. or pretty close, which is the typical timeline for a broken foot, not eight weeks. Um, yeah, I think if you get Muzzin back and, like I said, the offense continues to produce, the Leafs are the highest scoring team in the NHL right now. Mm-hmm. They're 3.6 seven goals per game they're averaging for the season and even more than that under Keefe that covers up a lot of wards sure when you have Marner Matthews Nealander Tavares in a power play like that you should be able to win enough games and how much of a drop is an injured Riley to a Sandine or a Dermot I think it's a drop it's a drop but because it's it's not just that drop it's the other drop it's the drop from the next guy to the next guy too I just think the thing is like Marincin's been okay now can not continue i don't know can i I feel like they're going to be okay with this decor like i feel especially with muzzin coming back soon i think i agree i think they can survive and that's really all they need to do i think and if sandine i think they can win it like 600 percent. like i think they can you know i think they can win more than they lose like they're not just they're not just going to tread water like no well i mean when you have a guy on pace for 50 goals you have marner like Tavares is quietly on pace for like 34 goals and 75 points which isn't last year's totals but still elite yeah. I think Anderson's really going to be the wild card in some ways because it's funny, like when he's rolling, it looks like he's the best goalie in the league. And when he's not, it, it he just probably looks... is the best goalie in the league when he's like, yeah. he had a 928 save percentage for two months. That's everyone saying he had a bad October. And a, I've seen a lot of fans say this. He's only had one good month. It's not true. He was good for two months. It just wasn't. People are just looking at the splits for October, November, December. But he was good from mid-October to mid-December. He was really good. The the one of the best games he played of the year was that game in Vancouver that the Leafs probably didn't deserve to win. And they would, you know, that that was about when I remember the Calgary game. Right after that, it started to kind of go off the rails. Yeah. And it it, it doesn't look like they totally know how to handle it right now. They don't know whether they should play him more. This or is they why you need less. a real backup. This is why you need a backup that can play 30 games. Well, you and I have talked about this before. We often point to, like, you need a better backup in case of injury. But you also need a backup who can steal starts right now. Especially because, I'm sure you saw the chart in my Anderson story, but, like, he he has these crazy highs and crazy lows. And a lot of NHL goalies have that, like, statistically. It's pretty common that... But uh, Anderson is more streaky than the average goaltender. So if you have a goaltender that's more streaky and is prone to kind of having these periods of time where he struggles for a long period of time, that's when you need a backup to come in and play like a little bit more. Yeah, right. You could What you could do is instead of using Michael Hutchinson once or twice a month, you can use him for when, when five Anderson's or six times. Struggling, yeah. yeah. I think Anderson, the fatigue was a factor here. Like I think he played a lot of games early on and, you know, it was, her- that, it was that back-to-back. <laughs> It's hard to know, right? Because like he had handled it. Honestly, this has been a trend before, like you mentioned. Like he's always kind of been very up and down. It's just this feels longer, and obviously the team has won a bunch, so it hasn't felt as it's dire. It's only been eleven games. He's been bad. Eleven or twelve. That's that's not nothing. Well, if, like yeah, if, yeah. If you include the Devils game, then yeah, twelve. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, was that all on him? No. And this is what, like, I thought was interesting about your story about him, is. It's always hard to like find a balance of how much of this is on the goalie and how much of this is the chances that they're giving up. Right? That was always so frustrating when the Leafs had terrible goalies because everyone would always be like, like Ron Wilson always got blamed for not being able to coach defensively. And it's like, well, Ron Wilson's been a pretty good defensive coach. Like if you look at what San Jose, the way San Jose played and whatever. Like, well, I look did, how the, the Jack Adams gets voted every year. It's, it's, it's still, goalie? it's basically the team that suddenly has amazing goaltending. 
Well, look how many coaches have been fired this year, and you know how many of them are. Uh, Gerard Gallant got fired today uh, from Vegas, and you know what they're where they are in PDO. They're like isn't it like one oh something or, or no no they're nine, like ninety four yeah they're like they're I think they're third or fourth last in the NHL and PDO, and like it's always like that. And the thing is, is that I don't know that our analytics probably aren't good enough to tease out. Is it goaltending or is it what the coach is doing or is it what, how what the defense is doing and like we're still I think when you have like puck tracking and stuff like that that well but like even San Jose was the same thing like Martin Jones San Jose had like the worst goaltending in the league right Nashville look how bad Nashville's goaltending's been Pekka Rene's thirty seven years old and has like an eight ninety something save percentage and the the younger guy Saros hasn't played very well and the coach gets fired and I'm not saying that. Ron Wilson shouldn't have been fired in Toronto because there were other problems. But I'm just saying, even Paul Maurice, Paul Maurice is a good example too with Toronto. You go back and you look at like some of the analytics and stuff when Paul Maurice was here, and they were all really good. And you look at the roster, and it's like he got that out of that roster. Bates Battaglia, and then like the roster was not good, and the D the D core was not good. Nope. Paul Maurice only got two years in part because like Raycroft was his goalie, I think, both those years, and he was garbage, and like. The GM, he has the wins record. The GM does yeah, he have I, that anymore? Yeah, people keep talking about that. I'm just kidding. But fans do bring that up, and I'm like, have you looked? Look, yeah, but look at his numbers. Like, I think the way he, to had, do he it, got the wins record because Paul Maurice was a good coach, and Paul Maurice has proven his track record since leaving Toronto has been pretty good. Well, and even before he got to Toronto, um, so it's frustrating when people say that it. Like, where I'm going with this is that you see some fans saying, "Oh, Keith's playing this Lucy Goosey." Uh, offensive style and that's why they're allowing all these goals against and it's like there's no factual basis for that like it's the Gardner effect it's like it's that odd man rush that sticks in your mind and that's all you remember yeah but like on the whole the Leafs are giving up fewer high percentage chances statistically than they were earlier in the season do you know the way I like to do it is the way that they have told me they do it and that's I, I mark it in my notebook in three categories, should have had it, could have had it, no chance. This is goaltending. This is goaltending, and so that's the way I look at the goal. Sounds very scientific. <laughs> that's that's how they do it. And so at the end, like Anderson told me, like at the end of the even year, that's you, hard to tell, though, right? Yeah, but like you've got it. It's it's subjective, but like generally, you can get a better f- idea of the kind of night he had when you think of it in those terms. Like, did he have a chance to make that save? Well, it's how a backdoor good, how play. How good was he against Jersey? I, I don't know my notebook. A lot of here. those Coleman goals were kind of he was right on top of them. Like, I think like a couple of them you'd put in the could have. Yeah, like he could stop it, but it's there's a breakdown and some that like go right through him. He should have had. Right. I think that to me that's easier because like what what I think is frustrating sometimes about the analysis of goaltending you see it on TV. The goalie is supposed to stop chances. Like a team is not just going to be perfect defensively. There are going to be breakdowns. His job is to make those difficult saves. His job is not just to stop the the lazy point shot that has no chance of going in. His you know job what? is to make hard saves. Part of it I find with goalies too is it's reputation based and like people are a lot less willing to criticize a goalie who's been really good in the past. So Anderson has this really good stretch and he's getting all kinds of praise and people were talking about the Vesna and like early December. He was my mid-season MVP and now I'm like, I don't know if he's their MVP anymore. Yeah, well, yeah. that's a, I get people on Twitter chirping us for saying he was the MVP, but I think he was like... At that point... Before like Matthews caught lightning in a bottle, you know, it was more of a debate whether it was Anderson or Matthews and now yeah. it's not a debate anymore because Anderson struggled and that happens sometimes, right? Like it, it's, it's, it's hard with a goalie to know... You know what I'm saying? Like, like people were praising him most of the season, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you see some breakdowns and a lot of goals start going in. And you're like, "What well, can't be the goalie?" Because we were praising him all year, and he's been good. I thought Keith did a good job of kind of explaining it, where he basically said there were breakdowns, and before he was making those saves, now there are breakdowns, and sometimes he's just not making those saves. Yes, and it feels like that's kind of what's gone on with him. Do you think that, like, I had those statistics in my story for the last 11 games or whatever, and it showed that expected goals and high danger chances against the Leafs were one of the better teams in the league. Like, that doesn't that doesn't seem totally accurate, does it? I don't know. I don't know if I mean, that's, but they've like, had some eyes yeah. fooling us. They've had some, some games these... where they've been really good, like against the Islanders. The Islanders may have been, if that, not their best game of the year, that's their right best up defensive, there with the That's their game. best defensive performance. Yeah. yeah, the St. Louis game was really good, too. But the, but the other thing, like, with Anderson is I don't know if I love the way that they've handled him at times, and this comes back to Keefe. 
I don't like what they've done pulling him in a couple of these games. I get what he's trying to do. Um, I just think you have to treat Anderson treat seems to get very frustrated by it, like more than some. Like yeah. I think some number one guys are just like you can't; they're unflappable. But I think it bothers Anderson when he gets pulled like a lot. Yeah, it sure seemed that way. Obviously, Babcock really rarely pulled him. Yeah, and I think that uh, I kind of like it. Felt a little more stable that way. Whereas it depends on the goalie and the personality, and like I think Babcock had the relationship with Anderson really figured out. Well, and he trusted Anderson, and I and it kind of felt like he always and he would never criticize him. No, like the only, almost the never. Only thing the he would ever say he did is was the, the puck, the puck went, went in the net. net. That's his code. Game for, seven, he said. Yeah, the puck did go in the net. Yeah, but I think with Anderson, part of the equation that Babcock seemed to have is my best chance to win the game is to keep him in, and that's especially true right now. That's that's why that's the well, other was reason the I don't like game, this. game, right? They pulled him after three goals, and I think that and he was playing well, and they were playing poorly in front of him. I think they could have come back in that game if they had Anderson in there. Yeah, and that's that's where I don't think it makes a lot of sense because you put Hutchinson's in, and you're basically giving up the game. And we saw that. Uh, what was the the game the next game that he got pulled? Why can't I think of it? Uh, not Winnipeg, Florida. Florida. Yeah. That game was over though. That, they, that game it, was it was over. six nothing, wasn't it? Six one. Oh, they didn't pull him. They pulled him after the fourth, like. T- two minutes into right. the second. I think if it's like a four or five goal deficit, that's fine. But three, really early in a game, three goals, it doesn't feel like enough. Yeah. Well, and... and Especially and, against a team like Edmonton that's had issues kind of... I feel like you could come back on a team like that. Well, so if you were Kyle Dubas, how how much would you be willing to pay to get a, an upgrade? So like Georgiev. Georgiev? So the thing Georg, I, It's Georgiev. The thing I like about Georgie... Georgiev. George. Do you watch It? No. Is that a movie or is that a TV show? It's a movie. It? You know It. Yeah, but the new one? There's a new one, right? Yeah, they're, it's freaky. Yeah. Anyway, the, big... kid, the kid's name's Georgie. So it's so funny. My son's four years old, and yesterday he loves like Halloween and spooky stuff and whatever. And uh, he's like, Dad, let's go in the basement and put on really spooky music and jump around with like the lights off. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And he was doing it. And it's like, he was making me put on like whatever the scariest thing I could think of. And it's like the Friday the 13th theme or whatever. And I was like, this is, you're four and you're not scared of this. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. Don't watch it then. Yeah. When I was, when I was in high school, I watched all those horror movies, but now I just, I don't know. I'd rather watch something a little bit more cerebral. Understand. And my wife would never touch any of those movies. One of our first dates, I took her to like a violent, like, I took her to Sin City. Remember, you know that movie? Oh, yeah. That, but is that scary? Isn't that it's more like, like gory dark and... and like, anyway, like, she had her hands over her eyes the whole movie at the theater. And I was like, okay, I failed. But so tell me the most you would pay for Georgie. How do we get on that tangent? Georgie. I feel like I blacked out for a minute there. Georgie. Hi, Georgie. So the thing I like about Georgie is that he's a solution for you, not just for like the last, like, how many games are left in the season? 25? 35. 35. He's a solution for you next season and potentially after that. Like, there could be life after Anderson at some point. They should start, like, the other thing you got to do with your backup, it's not just about injuries. It's not just about giving your number one rest. It's about having a pipeline of people that can come. And you want to have a decision like the way Washington had with um, Grubauer. Grubauer. You want to be one of those teams that you uh, Vasilevsky and Bishop in Tampa. That's you want, the opposite. Yeah. You want to continually have people coming up through the pipeline that you like, and then you make a decision. I've got two good goalies. Which one do I like the best? Well, and that's even better. Like you look at Tampa traded Bishop because they knew they had Vasilevsky coming. I don't remember what they got back. They Whereas, got that that Chernak guy. The, who's the now defenseman. okay? Eric Chernak. Chernak. I think it's true. Cernak, whatever. Yeah. Who's now in their second pair. Who's good and young. Because they traded Bishop to LA for LA's playoff run, I think, because Quick that was hurt. Right. Yeah. And they got Chernak or Cernak or whatever. Um, I have and, a lot and, of trouble remembering else. how to pronounce names. Yeah, I'm not. Pronunciation's not. Well, the thing is we're writing most of the time, right? We're not like, yeah. we're not, especially when it's European guys from other teams. But so that's the point. Like, so then like by following your guidelines... You develop, develop, and then you that's why now I, have an asset to flip for another. That's why asset. I don't like guy like I don't like the Leafs goalie pipeline in it being Hutchinson and Kaskasu because neither of those guys is anything. Neither of those guys is developing into anything. They're yeah. not. They're not part of the solution for you. And the Leafs need a long term solution and goal. Whether it's 
I don't know. I just I just feel like the backup position is so often neglected in the NHL, and that's one area that I don't understand what the why the Leafs are doing it. But the way so, they are. what would you pay? Like, so let's say that's the I, I wouldn't trade Kapanen or Janssen for Georgiev because I don't know what he is. Like no, his numbers are not that good. You can't like, trade a, like an important piece. No, but like if they'll take like a third round pick and a prospect, I would probably do that. And the, and it, 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 if he comes in and he plays some games and you decide, you know what, Hutchinson can outplay this guy, you haven't really given up that much. And you can send Georgie down to the AHL or like it's, I don't know. I think you give up like a third or fourth round pick and a prospect that, that you don't, you aren't so sure about. I think that's right. Well, like Georgie, I'm looking at him on cap friendly. He's 23 and he's RFA after the year. So like, he's not going to. no. And you just say, much. like, we're tight against the cap. We'll give you a million bucks next year and, like, yeah. show us what you can do. Or you take him to arbitration and whatever. Like, I just think they they got to start getting guys. And maybe Wool and Ian Scott and these guys are going to be that. But they're so far away from being that right now that it's, like. Well, and, and you know what the issue is, To Like, you mentioned it. When Anderson comes up in a couple years, I don't know that you're going to. I don't know what you, if he a, takes a discount you keep him and if he doesn't then you probably don't like I but, don't know what that is though like he's getting five now Varlamov got I believe Var, I got it right here Varlamov I think got five to be like part time in in the island Leonard got five to be part time in Chicago like what no does, he's gonna get more than five right so like a lot of times with goalies Jonas it matters what their platform season was like their last season before they go UFA huh, how how yeah. good it was that's a big part of it. And also how many teams need a goalie and how strong the free agency class is for goalies. This is what Laners talked about is that last year there were a lot of goalies available and that hurt him and it was harder for him to get term. And it it it, it just depends like on the saying. year. Yeah. But I, I guess my Anderson's point. Anderson's probably going to want like six and a half or seven. You're overall. joking, man. Two he, years from now, he's gonna we're going to be talking eight and a half to nine. Dude, he's got like a 9-12 save percentage right now. Right now. Yeah, but if you look at the course of his contract, he's going to be like nine. There's no chance I could pay him more than that. I know. That's what I'm saying. There's no way. And I think he'll get more. Dom elsewhere. has a story on the Athletic today saying don't pay a goalie. Basically, I agree. Well, so I'm going to read you. Look how bad that Bobrovsky contract. I'm going to that... read you the top paid goaltenders. You tell me overpaid or underpaid. Carey Price, ten and a half. Number one. It's like one of the worst contracts in the NHL. Number two, Bobrovsky, ten. Also terrible. Number three, Lundqvist, eight and a half. I understand that one because it's like a legacy contract and whatever, but yes, he's overpaid. Rask, seven. He's fine. Flurry seven. Eh, probably overpaid. John Gibson, six four. Underpaid. Hellebuck, 6.1. Seems okay. Holpe, 6.1. I'm not... What's Holpe's numbers this year? I'm not 100% sure. 899. He needs, a new, he needs a new deal too, right? So. Corey Crawford, six. But see, the thing with Corey Washington Schneider, is Schneider, six. Mark Jonathan, Jonathan Quick, five point eight. Martin Jones, five seven five. Roberto Luongo, five three three. Yeah, you see, like you can't get into Martin Jones situation. But like the like Anderson's better, obviously. Even if Anderson, let's say, like he's getting older. He's thirty, isn't he? 30? He's thirty. Yeah. Oh no, he's twenty nine. Okay. I don't know why though. He's thirty. No, he's thirty. Yeah, he is thirty. Yeah. Even if he's like, let's say he wants a four four year deal. Let's say he wants a four year deal. Which is like now what we're seeing with goalies is sometimes they sign shorter term deals, which makes sense. Bishop did it, um, and even if you know he's going to be a nine seventeen goalie between age thirty one and thirty five, he's still not worth more than seven, right? Because at nine seventeen, you're not even that much better than like an average number one goalie. And yet, if you don't have that guy, it's a really that's big why I think I would go. With, I think I'd go with two guys. Yeah, but like, look at Carolina. You feel comfortable with that goaltending going into the playoffs? I don't. Do, do I feel like those goalies can win you a cup? Eh, I don't know. I don't even know who I'd start in game one of the playoffs. They probably don't even know that yet. That it seems that like they're leaning towards Morazic. And yeah, like there, there are combos that sort of work. Like I kind of like Farlamov and Grice. Some of that's like revisionist history, though, Jonas, because teams go in with a, a tandem and people think, I don't know, and then they win the cup. Like people would have said me that. the last time that happened. Well, I mean, I guess Bennington. Like, yeah, Niemi. Like it happens all the time. Niemi won a, a long cup. Time ago. Cam Ward won a cup. That's a long time. Matt ago. Murray won a cup, and no one knew what he was. Like, yeah, but like they had Flurry. They had like a guy who was struggling that year, though, right? Like, yeah, but that's to your point. Like, why it's good to have another guy. But I'm just you saying, don't know. 
Yeah, I hear you. Anyway, we've, it's, ta- it's, we've talked about goalies for like half an hour. Yeah, sorry about that. All right, um, Sandine, it, it's it's going to be different this time, obviously, than to start the year because they, they can't afford not to play more. Sheldon, I, Sheldon Keefe calls him Sandy, and Babcock called him Sandman. Do we have like do do we have to delve into that? I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Really? Not interesting. Not interesting. I talked to Sandine today about his number because some fans were asking because they want to buy his jersey. Well, after you left, they want to buy his jersey. Well, can I tell you, after you left, he was bugging Dermot to give him 23. Really? Yeah. Because, because I brought up the number? No, he just said everyone's bugging him about his number. And obviously the O-Dog tweeted about it. Um, I talked to him about this early in the year, and he told me a bunch of He numbers. doesn't want 38. No, he definitely he, doesn't want 38. He wants so 14, he told to me. Yeah, but obviously that's off limits. He wore eight, <laughs> he's like, I believe, as a kid. He wore eight, I believe, as a kid. Mm. Uh, he's a big Le- Nick Lidstrom fan, so five theoretically would is work. Is five retired? I don't know. But it is funny how those things work. Like You just get assigned a number when you're a kid, and then in, in a lot of situations, Kadri, Riley... You just end up Gardner. You just end up keeping that number, mm-hmm. and then some situations the guy eventually like voices something and says. And then I there's an Austin Matthews it. who's always had the same number because his dad wore it when he was a baseball player. Yeah, but he comes in as a number one pick. He's going to get to choose a number when you're. I guess Rasmus Sandin's a first round pick, but like Matthews also not picked a, a weird goalie number, right? So it's like I, I'm saying he's not in a position where he gets to pick his number. But he, the way. He, why are we analyzing? The I don't know why we're talking about this. Yeah, but I, I just talked to Sandin about it today. He basically said. He thinks like that one was assigned to him, and he thinks next year he'll get to pick his number. Sure. Right? Yeah. So, don't buy the thirty-eight jersey. I think they change it if you bought it and he changed numbers. Who changes it? I think the team. The team. People buy their it. jerseys all over the fucking place. They just buy them at like well, Walmart or whatever. Okay. Well then, don't buy your Sandine jersey at Walmart. Um. Is that that's what you wanted to talk about with Sandine? Yeah, right? that's really that what it? I want. All right, to talk on about. to the next topic. But one of the points you made in your story that was interesting is. It's not. It it feels uncommon to have a nineteen-year-old defenseman, but it really has become not that uncommon. Like you see it a lot, and you just see the way he plays. Like he plays with a poise that doesn't look like he's scared. So teams, on average, play defensemen who are twenty-one and under about fifty games a year. That's an average in the NHL. So it's like less than one guy on your regular decor, but it's it's really like there's there's usually around like twenty to twenty-two really young defensemen on in the NHL every year. Mm-hmm. Now the Leafs have is Dermot's older than twenty one now. He's right? twenty three. Yeah. yeah. So like the, Sandine's the only guy that they've got, and if he plays the rest of the season with the Leafs, he'll end up like around NHL average. But you look at the defensemen that have excelled at under 20, 21 in the NHL the last few years. There's a lot. Like you know Heiskanen, uh, Kale McCarr, uh, Wierenski, Provorov. There's a there's a lot. There's a long list. I'm probably I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting people that. Look at Quinn Hughes. I mean, Quinn Hughes is not much older than Isn't than Sandine. No, he turned twenty in I think September or October or something okay. like that. So he he's a few months older than Sandine. He's like four months older than him. Mm-hmm. And Quinn Hughes is on pace for almost sixty points. He's going to the All Star game. He has been the I was going to say the biggest reason. Do you think he's been the biggest reason that Vancouver is so much better than last year? Probably. He's up there. He's completely changed what's happening there on that blue line. And added a dynamic element that they badly needed. I just think that sometimes when you've watched the NHL or covered the NHL for a long period of time, you get stuck in the old way of thinking, which is that a defenseman isn't ready until they're 25, and that's just not that's not accurate anymore. It's not entirely accurate. I I do think there is something to Randy Carlyle's 300 game thing. I don't know if, what number you want to put it on. And I think Dermot's a really good example of that. He's at like 130 or something. But Dermot's something. not a Sandine, though, I don't think. They're not picked that far apart. Yeah, but like, yeah, you're right. Dermot, Sandine might, there are exceptions to the rule. And so Dermot might take three or four years to like fully become what he's going to become, whereas Sandine could Carlisle's come in. Carlisle's rules, that's about four seasons, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it, it's not untrue. Like, look at Riley, look at Gardner. It took a while, like before they kind of like. But we knew they were good. We knew they were good, but like you knew Gardner was good his first season. Yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is before they become like the the fully formed version of themselves. All I was saying in my story was like, let's find out what Sandine is. Like you've got this opportunity. Well, they don't have a choice. I don't know about your Lilligren thing, though. I just said play him on Saturday against Chicago. 
I didn't say play him every game. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I just want. I just think you should see what he is. The other thing that they they've got to decide: Are they trading for someone before the deadline, a defenseman? And they got to decide what their blue line looks like next year. Okay, we're going to get into that in a sec. We need to talk about calm. We talk about physical fitness a lot, James. You and I, especially. You're a big physical fitness freak. I am. But there's another side of the game. I think I've gained like 15 pounds this year. <laughs> there's another side of the game that's just as important. This is going to be good for you. I'm talking about mental fitness. You can work on this. Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation, and they've teamed up with LeBron James to help you I didn't you know you were doing an mind. ad read, and I was so confused. I got you. For LeBron James, arguably the greatest player of all time, maybe number two after Michael, probably number two, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. He says, quote, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind, end quote. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash leaf. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash leaf. That's calm.com slash leaf. James, get over there and do it. You don't even have to like leave your couch. I need, I need, the, uh, I need the app to watch my, my daughter who's 18 months old and doesn't like sleeping. <laughs> okay, like, so like screaming at 5 a.m. After I've worked until two one night. Yeah, but she's... You got cute kids. You're good. So you mentioned the the trade stuff, and and obviously Sandine is part of that conversation. I think regardless of what he becomes, if I'm Kyle Dubas in that front office, I try to upgrade. That's not easy. Uh, But I think he... His emergence, if he can... If he shows he can be ready to play now lightens the pressure a little bit there's less urgency for them to do something like yeah i i still would think they should but less urgency is a good way to put it well they almost they need someone on the right side probably right yes probably like i would think about moving cc and getting someone you like a little bit better there it sounds like what the leafs are interested in doing is not a rental but like someone like a muzzin who potentially could be part of the team for longer than that well because i think Dubas's philosophy is if I'm going to give up assets, I want it to not be for two months, maybe less. Which makes a ton of sense, but it's a harder deal to do. Yeah. Well, it costs you more, and it's harder to find that player. And they can't keep trading first-round picks. Oh, yeah. But They're running out of them. But what what their development system has allowed them to do is now that Engvall looks like he's a player, maybe you you feel freer to trade Kapanen or Janssen or Engvall. Apparently, or, Bob McKenzie put Kerfoot on the list. Or Kerfoot. I, it sounded like. I don't want to put words in Bob McKenzie's mouth, but if you, I watched yeah, the broadcast like, the other day. In theory, that makes sense. Like, he's young. He's signed. He's a player. Like, he would be one of the guys you would look at potentially trying to acquire if you're another team, right? If you need forwards. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I think it's important that Sandin only played 16 minutes against the Devils, which I think is fine because... He's like he he admitted he was like jet lagged from the Czech Republic, and then he went to Texas, and he's been like all over the place. And he was like a bit, he said he's been a bit tired. Um, but I'd like to see him play more minutes. Like I'd like to see him play like nineteen minutes a game for like ten games, see what he is. And if he he can't hack it, then that's fine. Then that that changes. You've got more information going into the deadline. Well, I I think ideally, let me ask you this: ideally. Would you, if you're the if you're Keith, I guess, would you ideally have your third pair be Dermot and Hall? Like, ideally, I'm not sure you want Muzzin Hall to be your yeah line to go against top lines in the playoffs. Like, ideally, I just I think don't know where they're going to gonna find a top pair, right? Deal. So maybe you don't need to replace him. Maybe it is Muzzin Hall, and maybe you need someone to play with Riley, and maybe your third pair is Dermot Barry. I don't know. Sandine Barry. Yeah, possibly. Do you think Sandine can play the right side, or Dermot can play the right side? Dermot absolutely can, and Sandine. So Sandine, I, I know in camp, Sandine was fine playing either side too. Hmm. Like I, if you remember, I believe. Uh, yeah, that's, I can look this up. That I sounds think right. He played with Marinchin, and I, I have it in my notes whether he was on the left or the right. But it seems like Keith really likes Marinchin. I wonder if Marinchin might be a guy that make is on the playoff roster just as someone that PKs and plays like sure. a little bit at even strength. It depends. It's gonna if if everyone's healthy. I don't think he's playing. But maybe you get to a point where you're more comfortable with him than CeCe. I don't know. Well, that's what I'm... Yeah, I think I kind of like Marincin better than CeCe because I think he has... I'd have to look at like the results a little bit more, but I just feel like 
defensively, he's a very safe option for them. And it was interesting watching against New Jersey, like Marincin and Barry. It was there was like kind of like they have like a yin yang kind of thing that that makes some sense. Now Barry kind of didn't have a great game and it was a bit of an adventure, but I guess that's par for the course with him. Well, and, and it kind of does highlight what they've tried to do with their defense. And it's half worked, but it's not exactly worked. Like they've traded for Barry, they've traded for Muzzin. Muzzin, obviously, the two trades has been a better trade. He looks like he's he's still not exactly. If he was right they, D, he'd yeah, be he'd great. be perfect. Yeah. So like they've tried to figure it out, and they're still trying to figure it out. What do you make of them trying to resign Muzzin? Like, I'm it makes not, sense, right, to talk to them at least. It makes sense to talk. I'm a little wary. Him? I'm well, so I'm of just two because minds. he's lefty. No, I'm of two minds. One mind is um, what he is and what he's been to them. He's been really important. He 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 fits a bracket or a bubble or whatever that they don't have. Like I don't think there's anyone else like you him just on don't the like team. the price, right? I don't like the price and I don't like the age. And I think to to the idea of signing a guy who's now in his 30s, who's not the fleetest of foot. Who who's had I don't know how much injury history he has, but that just he's signing had quite a bit. Signing obviously coming he's, out. He wears and, the two big knee braces every game, right? So all that scares me a little bit. I'm not sure if it's like two or three years. Okay, and and I just don't know what that's going to cost. Like he's making four now. There's no way a UFAD who's 31 is going to take a two or three year deal. So then there's I don't no, know that there's no chance. And so, but the question is, who's on your who's playing for you? Well, on your left side, Riley Sandy Dermott. And then I'll spend my like you're saying. Yeah, I know you need to spend your money somewhere. I'll spend my money on someone who's younger and who maybe plays on the right. I mean, if you're going UFA, there's not going to be very many guys that are much younger than Muzzin. Then I'll trade for someone. I just don't think I. I think this is this is exactly not exactly, but this is kind of what happened to them on a different level with Fanuf. Like they looked at their team and said, "How are we going to replace this guy?" Yeah, but they gave him seven years. Yeah, but so what do you think you're gonna? You're not gonna have to give Muzzin seven years, but you're gonna have to overpay him. Four or five. At what? But the question is, is giving him that money, is he an asset? Is he a positive asset or a negative asset? Like That's a depreciating asset for sure. Yes, but if you play him for two years and then you want to trade him in two years, is he is another team going to want him? Is he going to be valued at the number and the... Because it's, Let's say the number's five and a half. You're telling me 33 or 34-year-old Jake Muzzin at five and a half break, assuming at that point, and that's it's not fair to assume that. But how like, old is Niskanen? Like, the Flyers wanted Niskanen. And like, yeah, and if they, you look at his numbers, they were brutal last year. And obviously, that's the But thing, what I'm saying point, is, is there demand for these guys? always a sucker out there. <laughs> it's There's always a sucker. But that's the thing. Like, I think if you can sign Muzzin and you really like what he's going to give you the next two years... It's a tough. I mean, it's a very tough. There's one. a lot of D that are going to be UFA in the summer, and it's. I d- I don't think I would do it unless it was three years, just because you like the young guys. Yeah, there's no. I don't think there's. But the other side of that is then under my theory, assuming I'm not getting that guy in UFA, I'm trading, so I'm giving up an asset yes. to get that guy instead of I just have this guy. Yes, and I've already given up assets to get this guy. Yes, I think it's hard. I think it's a really hard one. But if you can do a four year deal at like five and a half for Muzzin. I know what you're saying, but yeah, like, it's hard. If you go to UFA, you're going to be making the same kind of decision. It's not like you're going to go to free agency July one. What do you like? If you go there and you're picky and you're like, I'm not going to give any term or whatever. Everyone's going to go everywhere else. I'd rather trade for like Matt Dumba, who's like six and yeah. Eight, I just I don't twenty four or twenty five. I don't see why Minnesota trades him. And if they do, they want like someone really good. Oh, well, forward. I'd do that. Yeah, but they want someone probably better than the three guys we're talking about. I don't think so. I do. Who's going to play defense for that team? That's the thing. Like the players that have a lot of value have a lot of value in the NHL, and it's only I do, I just don't think overpaying someone is a solution. It, it just never works out well. But what I'm saying is that if you go to free agency July one, yeah. to get a D, you're gonna it's, that's the same. You're thing. making the same decision. Yeah, well, it's the same decision. It's, Muzzin is a free agent. You're paying him like a free agent, a UFA. Right? You have to. You like yeah. That's what, what you're you're, you're negotiating against the free market, yeah. and I like. I don't know. So he'll be 31 on February 21st. Soon, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and honestly, if you look at his NHL career, he has been healthy. 
Last year he played 80 games. The year before that, 74, 82, 82, 76, 76. So he had those those issues coming out of uh, the draft. I wonder, what, like, after the, the draft, one thing the Leafs could do is, like, like maybe you try and coax that number down as much as you can. You front load the shit out of that contract. You don't give him a no-movement yeah. clause. Expansion draft is coming. You're going to have to expose players. Maybe you potentially yeah. you don't give him a no-movement clause. He's like one of the guys you expose because you want to protect Dermot and... Riley and whatever. And so, would you make the deal longer and lower the cap it? Maybe, and then front load it. Maybe, you can front load a four or five year deal. That's more appealing to me. That's I don't know, and make it make it like bonus heavy and like that's that's the kind of thing the Leafs are gonna have to do with these really, with these older guys that I just really worry about giving long term deals to guys like of and, that build and dude if he gets hurt when he's 34 or whatever LTIR like yeah go go join Roby to Island like the Leafs don't care about that at all and like like look what's happening with Seabrook in Chicago yeah, I, the thing is very... I like Muzzin like as a player I like the, how he played I, I think he's he's the kind of, like they need some of that on this team yeah and I look at who's in UFA and I'm not sure where they're gonna get another Muzzin for in the fives yeah there's there's truth to that I just don't know if that's yeah it's like isn't it like a scarcity argument like you just kind of grab what you got because there's not much like it yeah but they need somebody that can play well so what what like to they, bring they it back need, to the present they need the decor to get better next well year, to not bring worse. it back to the present if if Travis Dermott in this 20 whatever game stretch you look at him you're like man he might be ready for more then maybe you look at Muzzin and you say, you know what? That's what I. We like look about- at Sandine. We look at Dermot. We have Riley. We can't. We don't need to pay you. That's why there's like a little bit of a blessing in disguise here with like Muzzin and Riley being out. Yeah. It sounds stupid, but like the Leafs are not in a terrible position in the standings. They can get a look at Sandine and Dermot and see what's there. Yeah, and it informs not only what they do this season, but what they do with guys like Muzzin and Barry and everybody. Well, we didn't even touch on. They've re-signed Martin Marincin next year. Well, I think he's probably like the perfect number seven guy. Perfect where, number like, seven. If someone's hurt, then he comes in. and Yeah. He's such a weird player. Yeah, when, he's when, when most he unique. Pl- when he plays well and he's confident, he's he's okay. Well, one thing that, that Sheldon Keefe seems to be doing, and I think it's smart, is he's building him up. And like he, and not just like in terms of what he says in the media. In terms of like Jake Muzzin gets hurt and he's like, you know what, we're... Not only is is Martin Merchant playing, he's he's going to play an important role for us, and he plays him, and he, he believes in him. You know what I mean? And for a guy like Merchant in particular, who struggles with confidence, I think that's really important. Like it it, it says to him, "I believe in you." Like Merchant has the physical tools to be a regular NHL player. Sure. Yeah. Babcock talked about it. Like it was. Yeah, his, Babcock was... liked him. There's a perception that Babcock didn't like him. Babcock. He just. He just knew that Merchant struggled with confidence. He couldn't keep giving him opportunities when he... Yeah. Because he'd get in there and it would be two games and it'd be a disaster and that would be the end of it. Yeah. All of a sudden he's giving the puck away and... I think that's about all my topics. Is there anything else we want to talk about? We're out? Yeah. I thought it was interesting at the end of practice. uh, I think the last question Sheldon Keefe took today was about Austin Matthews and what surprised him about Austin Matthews. And it's cool going in could... my Monday column. Oh, okay. Like you're you're going to use it there? Yeah. I'm, I'm, sure, it's gonna, I'm sure it's all over Twitter yeah, and everything. It. That's fine. I was thinking we could play it at the end of the podcast if if our producer can figure it out. I think the biggest surprise or the biggest thing I've learned from him uh, is just he's a very good player defensively away from the puck. And when he's engaged, the way he can track. And you saw the one goal in, in the Winnipeg game that he got. But there's a uh, we've got dozens of clips of him doing similar things and some of the best defensive zone coverage clips that we showed here this morning to the players you know he was out there doing a job so he he's got great ability to do that and the offensive piece we've known that and we've seen that uh, the whole world has seen that uh, but that'd be the biggest thing and then he just you know he's he wants to do really well he wants the team to do really well and he wants to be a part of something great something great here Sheldon Keith basically said what surprised him is how good he is defensively and Matthews has taken a bunch of heat from the, some media people and some Twitter warriors over his defensive game. It's interesting that the coach comes in and says, boy, he really impressed me with how good he is defensively. Do you know what's smart about that? And I don't know if this has come. This comes to his mind. You know who hears about that stuff? Players. And so suddenly, like it's again, it's like the same, long, same thing as Marincin. 
suddenly you hear the coach said you're you're good defensively and you're like you know what yeah and like maybe you'll try a little harder like maybe it just gets you like an, a, a percentage or two it, and it ties back to like the stuff we've seen with sheldon keith the human touch that he's brought even if it gets you like one or five percent two percent why not do it He's definitely was, they're de- he's definitely in like the honeymoon phase where the the players are really bought in. Yeah. So when they hit this adversity where they lose three in a row, you can see that Keith still got their attention. I think, and the, and their respect and their well, and his challenge is going to be managing that long two term. years from now, yeah, 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 three yeah. years from now, whenever. All right. So we'll be back. We'll do an all star edition of the podcast, bi week edition. Yeah, I think we should just keep going. All right, let's do it. All right, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Jonas. Thanks, James. Thanks, James.